Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland and if you listened to the previous episode, you heard Josh Clark join me to talk about digital immortality. Our conversation became epic, and so now I bring to you part two of Digital Immortality, and let's rejoin the conversation between myself and Josh Clark. The bigger question, and this is something that like gets left out of all of this stuff, mm-hmm. is if, say you could conceivably create a really a great simulation of an individual person's brain mm-hmm. and it started making connections and it became a better version of the organic brain. Mm-hmm. That's a separate thing. How is it connected to the organic brain so that you don't just have the experience of the organic brain and the experience of the AI right. brain, right? Yeah. How are they connected so that they're sharing experience? Because without that connection, without that shared experience, you have, for all intents and purposes, Two separate individuals. Right, right. It's bringing them together so that we really are translated into a, a digital version of ourselves. Mm-hmm. That that is this this step that guys like Kurzweil and everybody else who's talking about this just completely walk past. Well, yeah, the the I mean if you nailed them down and said, Can you explain this? I think the explanation you would get would be kind of a non explanation, which is that at the time you reach the sophistication, the technological sophistication capable of simulating a brain to the extent that it would be useful in this way, mm-hmm. we would have a brain-computer interface that would allow for the bi-directional communication. I, I, I realize that you do not curse on the show. We don't curse on my show mm-hmm. either. But that's but that bull is, hockey? Yes. Yeah. That's what they call Strickland magical thinking. It. I, I would argue... And I realize I, I, I certainly can't go so far as to I wouldn't go so far as to call it magical thinking in the sense that we have brain computer interfaces now. Mm-hmm. They're just very primitive. So the question is, could we get to a level of sophistication where it was where we shared consciousness? Yeah, that's what we're talking about yeah. here. And and I, I realize that it would it would be a disadvantage to humanity to nail down the futurists and be like, no, no, no. Don't you dare make a prediction unless you can exactly Map lay out, out yeah. how it's going to happen. Yeah. That's not what they do. So I don't necessarily have a problem with futurists. I have a problem with the people who write about what futurists are saying mm-hmm. as if it's going to happen regardless. Because yeah. there's there, here's one. This drives me crazy. It, it was a Kurzweil prediction. Mm-hmm. Just a random stuff. Like everything that guy says gets press, right? Sure. And understandably so. He's an interesting dude and he has interesting thoughts and interesting visions. Mm-hmm. But he said recently that um, by 2030, humans will be cyborgs. Our brains will be jacked into the Internet. We'll be able to say uh, we want to think about a Wikipedia page. We will be there. It will mm-hmm. be in our minds, that Wikipedia page. We will have that level of brain-computer interface direct, that we are direct Johnny Mnemonic, to right? The, the sum total of human knowledge. Yes. Yeah. Well, somebody did try to nail him down, or he he volunteered it in this talk, whatever it was. I just read an article on it. Um, and he says that there's going to be DNA-based nanorobots yeah. that will basically enter our cortexes and connect us to um, a an artificial cortex that the Internet is is based on. That that's how it will happen. It's like, well, that is really neat and dandy. How? Yeah. How? Yeah. 
if you put 20, 30 on something, if you say that something's going to happen 15 years out, just, just saying, well, DNA nanobots, that's how. <laughs> like, that's at the same level as, as taking a human brain now and plugging it into a USB cable. Yeah. And expecting something to happen. I would, I would, uh, totally agree with you on that. Absolutely. It, it drives me a little crazy. Absolutely 100% agree with you on that because, uh, and, and knowing what, here's another problem is that we've got people who are very brilliant. They're, they're clearly intelligent people. However, you know, they're intelligent and focused on specific parts of general knowledge and don't necessarily possess other elements of knowledge that would be really important to have before you make definitive statements right. and predictions. Right. Like neuroscientists will often say things that, you know, the physicists may say one thing, but neuroscientists believe another thing. Mm -hmm. uh, like physicists say, maybe there are some quantum effects going on in the brain and neuroscientists saying, mm, that's not really what we think is happening. Right. And because there's so much we do not know, making any sort of prediction of something that is definitely going to happen or you say it's definitely going to happen mm -hmm. is kind of foolish. Yeah. You know, it's it's it. Again, probably falls under the category of wishful thinking, right. particularly in the case with Kurzweil, yeah. who, again, brilliant guy. But I, I agree with you. I, I think I think trying to explain, say, it, nanobots, it's almost akin to saying magic. Yes, I mean, it's the exact same thing. Yeah, especially since right now, as far as we know, uh, nanobots are probably well beyond our ability to make on any kind of truly sophisticated level. Like yeah. The nanotechnology we talk about today, we're talking about nanoparticles that you can guide externally through stuff like ultrasonic frequencies sure. or magnetic fields, right. but they're not robots. Like they're not autonomous or even remote controlled items that can go to where you want them to go and do what you want them to do. Right. That level of sophistication, I think, is well beyond 15 years out. I, I can't imagine us getting there. And also, I think another issue I have is that a lot of these futurists base their assumptions on things like Moore's Law. Yes, Strickland, I could hug you right now, man. <laughs> yes, you can't base any sort of arrogant prediction on Moore's Law. No. It has as much veracity as Murphy's Law. Yeah. Man, well, I'm so well, pleased Well, Moore, Moore's Law was originally just an observation. Yeah. It wasn't and a it was law. And it was a decade-long observation, yeah. prediction for a decade, 1965. Yeah. Uh, you got Gordon Moore who said... It looks like every two years, what we're going to reach is the uh, the sophistication and the economic condition where it'll be possible to half the size of transistors, double the number of transistors on yeah. a square inch of silicon. Right, and, and how just, you how you put that is whether you're a glasses half full or half empty kind of person. Yeah, I think. well, and, and he, he was looking at it as saying, you know, it's not just the technological sophistication; it's also the fact that our our manufacturing ability will reach a point where it makes sense to do it. Right. And it was never meant to be something that would exist in perpetuity. It was meant to, like, at least for the foreseeable future, this is going to continue until we run up to some sort of fundamental block. Yeah. And we're getting real close to that fundamental block now. In fact, a lot of engineers, uh, including more, including more have said that this is, this is the days of Moore's law are close to an end. But, they have been saying that for a very long time now. They have. And when part of the reason that they've been able to to push it off is that we've kind of redefined Moore's Law. It's no longer the number of transistors. Now we sort of understand it as the processing power mm -hmm. of a chip right. tends to double every two years. Right. Which you can do both with architecture and with 
the the optimization of that architecture. So that's kind of what Intel does. They'll they'll do things where they'll shrink down elements in one move, mm-hmm. and then the next move they figure out how the what's the best architecture for those elements to take the best advantage of what they've done. Right. So it's a tick. They call it the tick-tock approach. The tick is where they shrink everything down. Mm-hmm. The talk is where they optimize it. And then the next tick, they shrink stuff down again. Talk, they optimize it. Very cool. Yeah. So it helps extend Moore's Law because they don't always have to get smaller and smaller. And once you get to a certain size, you run into quantum effects that totally ruin the way electronics work. Right. So the reason why we're even bringing this up is that you cannot count on the technological sophistication to continue at the same rate it has been going. No, but these guys who are all about digital immortality are basing all of their assumptions on the idea that Moore's Law will keep going like this. Yeah. Well, not only that, they're they're applying the same sort of idea of Moore's Law to dis- other disciplines. Right. And they're treating it as if it is an actual scientific law. Yeah. And they're they're kind of bandying it about as if it is and as if it proves that their predictions will come true. Right. Which, I mean, like, I love Moore's Law, but mm-hmm. I would feel a lot better about it if it was called, like, Moore's Really Good Idea. Yeah. <laughs> or, and, just, or just the general observation of Moore. Sure. You know, because it, it really, again, it was an observation it was, and then a prediction based on that observation. Mm-hmm. But... It was. It wasn't Gordon Moore who called it Moore's Law. It yeah, was other apparently people. He, he doesn't like. No, he the didn't thing, care yeah. for that. He was like, "No, nah, it's not called a law, guys." Right. But it's too late. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's one of the big things is that if Moore's Law doesn't hold true, then this sets everything back. Sure. And if Moore's Law, and, and since you can't apply Moore's Law to things like neuroscience, the discoveries in neuroscience happen on a totally different time scale. Completely than, random, too. Yeah. Like inspiration doesn't happen on any kind of plotted chart. So that that's another thing to keep in mind is that maybe their predictions are sort of accurate, but not for the time scale. It may be that it's much further out than what they anticipate. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would be shocked if that's not the case mm-hmm. uh, based upon what little I know about these other disciplines. OK, well, let's let's go ahead and just say, Josh, just for the sake of argument – Let's say that this world does come about where okay. digital immortality is possible. It's a thing. We can do it. The trouble doesn't stop there. Right. There's, no, there's some really other big issues. Yeah. Happening. So now, can you imagine a world where there is now an option for you to move yourself over into a digital immortality Phase Maybe it doesn't even involve leaving your body. Maybe it involves getting an implant and then that takes over and your body will live for as long as it can. And then after that, you could even port that intelligence, which is you, mm-hmm. into some other body, whether it's a robot or maybe even sort of free form where you could flow into all sorts of different electronics. I even saw one suggestion saying like in, in this science fiction future, you could get behind the wheel of a car. But you don't really get behind the wheel of a car. You become the car. Yeah. Like that sort of stuff. All right. Do you imagine that that would be available to everybody day one? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you make a good point in this article. It's like talk about uh, some sort of um, disparity in experience here on Earth between the haves and the have nots. Yeah. And the haves and you talk about the huge gap in haves and have nots that already exists. Imagine a world where not only is that gap there, but it's exacerbated by the fact that now the haves live forever. Yeah, think about the grumbling that people have every time Dick Cheney gets a new heart and gets to live <laughs> like an extra like 10, 20 years. Yeah. 
that's just a new heart. Like, imagine if people like that or anybody who's wealthy was able to become immortal. And it was only available to them because it was so prohibitively expensive, as I think you rightly point out, would definitely be the case at first. And, you know, not to get too political, uh, but I would imagine that this would be a world where you would see an even stronger push toward protecting the status of those who have things. Sure. Because now they're in it forever, right? It's it's not even I want this protected for as long as I live. Mm-hmm. Now it's I want this to be protected forever. Right. Um, you could also make the argument that maybe that would mean those people would also become way more interested in taking better care mm-hmm. of the planet because yeah. they're going to be there forever. I think it would be one of the benefits mm-hmm. of this is that it would extend long term thinking yeah. about about the future of humanity, the future of Earth. I think that would just be an inevitable byproduct of it. Yeah, because you're going to experience it. Right. If you're in that if you're in that elite, yeah. then you are going to experience that. So therefore it does benefit you to think about these yeah. things. You can't just focus on the short term gain anymore. No, it's like what, I'm gonna live eighty five, ninety years. Who cares about anything after yeah. that? I mean, I'll be they, dead. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not me. My, and and like for me, I'm like, well, I don't have kids, so I don't even have that right. to think about. You, right? can, you barely care about this moment. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I stopped caring about five minutes into this episode. Oh but, God! Uh, no, it's just kidding. But yeah, that's that's one of those things is that we're talking about a a potential divide, not just in uh in the haves and have nots as far as like a single country, mm-hmm. but let's say that this technology is developed in one part of the world. Mm-hmm. That immediately is going to cause issues, too, because you've got the rest of the world. Nobody wants to to I, I think it's pretty safe to say that most people don't want to die. Most people like the idea of being able to at least live as long as they want to live. Right. Right. Like they get the option to say, maybe maybe eternity is not what I really want, but I would like the opportunity to live as long as I I want to live before deciding to no longer live. Right. Right. Yes. Like even that could be a case. It could be that when we talk about immortality, we're really just talking about you get to decide when you go. Well, you know, I read an interesting article about that that's saying, like, if we are going to do this, don't forget to also include some sort of suicide switch. Right. Because if you become digitally immortal and you have no way of ceasing to exist, Mm -hmm. I mean, what happens when you want to cease to exist and you can't do anything about it? Yeah, that that would be. A totally new type of torture. Right? Sure. And that was another part of that same article. I think it was in the Atlantic um, that where they, they said, well, what does a life sentence look like? Yeah. You know, and yeah. if you if you do something wrong and a future generation decides that you've done something wrong and you should be punished. Well, you're still around for that future generation to yep. punish you. And how long will that last? And what does it look like? Other considerations. Uh, who owns the. Who owns the brain? Because if if you are porting yourself over into some digital format, Mm -hmm. presumably there's some hardware and software involved. Mm -hmm. Who owns that experience? Does it does it revert to the person that was the original individual? Does it revert to the hardware that it exists upon? Does it revert to the software that makes it possible? Right. This sounds like a silly question, but it's it's not in the age of people who are able to patent genes, human genes. Yeah. You have to figure out, like, well, how how do you determine I should say, that? let me correct myself before you get a bunch of listener mail, uh, who are able to patent genetic processes that right. are the results of genes. Right, because genes. The, the human genes discussion was eventually 
said, no, you can't, you yeah. can't patent genes. But if this were the late 80s, I would have been right. Yeah, you, it's true. Because you could for a it's minute. It's true. Uh, and also, going back to cultural issues, even if you assume that everyone has access to this, what does that mean for religions? A large part of many religions happens to be about the experience that comes after death. Mm-hmm. That, that in fact, a lot of religions suggest that the life here on earth is merely preparation for what comes next. Right. But if you extend that, that life indefinitely, mm-hmm. what does that mean from a religious standpoint? Yeah. It's a tough question to answer. I can't answer it. But it's, you know, it's another one of those things where we get these philosophical, uh, problems that come in. There are other ones too. Like, let's say that you are able to extend your lifespan indefinitely. What happens to population? I, I saw you, I saw this in this article and I, I don't think that there's that much of an issue here because think about it. If we all live in a non-corporeal form. That's the key though. That's non-corporeal, but digital immortality might be allowed if we have, like I said, an implant in our heads. Oh, well then there'll be body shape. <laughs> I mean, it's that's those... what that will be your status symbol that you own your own body yeah. and there's not a hundred other people in your body with you. Yeah. That all be... trying to make decisions about where to go to dinner or what to get at just, Applebee's. Just becomes a really, really uh, uh, extreme <laughs> version of all of me. Another Steve Martin. Yes. Movie. Yeah. Man, that, was, that was a good one. <laughs> yeah. Lily Tomlin was in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's. There are a lot of philosophical questions that we would have to come to grips with if yeah. this were, in fact, ever to become a reality. Oh, and it may yes. never happen. Yeah, and but... I'm not I'm not poo-pooing the possibility. I'm not saying that right. it definitely is not going to happen. I don't believe that we know enough about things to say that it never will. I also don't believe we know enough about things to say it definitely will. Or, or especially that it definitely will by 2030. Yeah. Now, in his defense, he was saying that we would be cyborgs and that we would be able to interface with the Internet just using our gotcha. mind. Gotcha. As opposed to being truly immortal, he's right. talking more about – yeah. And even step, then, that's still – 1.8 maybe yeah. of that singularity. Right. Well, one – I ran into a couple of things that were kind of interesting while uh, getting ready for this podcast. And I kind of wanted to sort of conclude on this. So while we're nowhere close to the point where we can – port a brain over into some digital format and mm-hmm. live forever mm-hmm. uh, where continuity really isn't an issue yet because we don't have the we don't even have the basis to work with as uh, you know let alone the figuring out how to port stuff over right there are people working on ways to share who you are beyond uh, your lifespan and one of them I ran into, in fact, I've signed up for the beta, but it hasn't, it's still on the alpha part yet, <laughs> okay. so it hasn't gone to beta, is a service called Eterna.me. I saw that. So Eterna.me is a website. Right. And it, it essentially is going to scrub your social presence on the web to get an idea of who you are. The idea being that eventually it would create an avatar that could act as you do, mm-hmm. you know, guided by all the experiences you share with it as you as you just be you right. online. Right. The person behind it, I believe uh, the name is Sunshine, actually, um, says that it would probably take 10 years for the algorithm to kind of learn your, you know, how you are you before it could react in a way that seemed to be similar. Right. Uh, At least 10 years. I think they 
they say the longer the better is the impression yeah. I have. And uh, there's actually kind of a, a sad part of the story too that uh, that he's been contacted by a lot of people who um, are suffering from terminal illnesses, mm-hmm. and they're looking at this as a way of being able to share memories with other people after they have gone. He says, you know, it's really hard to deal with those requests because honestly, the technology isn't at a level of sophistication where it could just adapt that quickly. Right. But it is an interesting notion. Now, in this case, obviously, the immortality is more about your your influence here on the planet right. after you have gone. You you are still gone. Yeah. But what you leave behind continues to uh, influence others. Sure. And that's a very poetic way of looking at immortality. It's not the way Woody Allen looked at it. You know, he was the one that says, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve it by not dying. <laughs> right. Um but immortality through work or through uh, your interactions with other people, that is something. And, you know, you, you could argue that, you know, like the poem, was it, is it Ozymandias, where essentially you're like, look at this enormous monument I built that is going to stand the test of time mm-hmm. and show how powerful I am. And mm-hmm. now it's fallen over and it's crumbled and uh, and and thus the the hubris of the past proves to be unfounded. Uh, I still think that this is a very kind of poetic way of of at least showing people that you care for them even mm-hmm. if it even if it is a little weird on the side yeah. of an artificial intelligence doing it on your behalf right you will never get rid of me and my facebook posts yeah and i had posted in the in the um or i wrote in the article about brian brushwood and I even had Brushwood on this show, and oh, I, yeah? I asked him about this. Yeah, this was years ago. And it was an idea he had had. I don't know that he ever actually implemented it. But his idea was to create a very simple algorithm mm-hmm. that would uh, copy previous posts he had made mm-hmm. online right. and post on his behalf after he dies. The idea being that every year on his birthday, he would be prompted to send a message to this account. Right. And if he did not do it within a certain amount of time – it would activate and start posting for him so that even after he had died, his, the ghost in the machine version of him would continue to update Twitter or Facebook. Although but with it would old be doing posts. Old posts. So I wonder how often like the appropriateness and the context of it would be so off that it would be like a horsey books tweet or something like that. You yeah, know? where you, you know, like especially, you know, especially if something really tragic had happened, like, <laughs> like big newsworthy tragic event right. happens and then. Feeling just, great today. Pancakes, I love them. Yeah, and like, yeah, exactly. Or, or you know, like, let's say that there was a huge fire that broke out in Texas, which is where he he lives. Like, mm-hmm. let's say there's an enormous fire, and then it's just like, man, it sure is hot today, or something <laughs> like that. That would be, it would be like, wow, that's an incredibly right. poor taste. Although, to be fair, Brian would probably think that was hilarious. <laughs> there's there's already a, another service out there. Or at least there was a few years back. I don't know if they're still around, but it was called Death Switch, mm-hmm. and it wasn't it wasn't meant to keep going. But you write letters, emails, that kind of stuff. Well, emails, I guess. If you think about it, Facebook posts, that kind of thing. Yeah. And they're all just held back because every year, much like what Brushwood was saying, you get an email that you have to like click and answer mm-hmm. a little bit to prove you're still alive. Right. And the first year that doesn't happen. It gives you like two or three more chances over the next couple of days. And then it sends out these emails, everything from like, dear boss, here's what I have always thought about you. I've always wanted you to stick it. Your sweet (laughs) wife saying, I I know I've died and I want you to remember I always love you. And, and, you know, like there's sweet things you can do. There's mean things you can do. There's just whatever. Like here's here's the 
combination to the fire safe in the sure. closet, yep. all yep. that kind of stuff. But it was all being held back by this one thing, which was every year you kept it from triggering. Right. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's an interesting idea. I like not I, immortality at all. Though. No, but it, it, it's again one of that, that idea of extending your presence right. digitally but isn't after that a, your life is, is is extinguished. Isn't that extremely egotistical? I mean, it could be, but it could also be that you know, if you have the fear of what if this stuff I want to I want to express to somebody, you know, what if I what if I never get around to doing it because some of some people say then you wasted that part of your life. Yeah. That's part of life is you are given a finite amount of time. Right. You have well, a finite amount of time to make decisions like that and also either the, act on them or let them pass by. There's also something where you might you might think, I want the ability for this person's final memory of me to be this thing right. because they mean they mean whatever to me and I want them to be aware of that. And I, I like to think of it more on the sweet side than the nasty side, but obviously it would apply to both. And the idea being that, well, I can't guarantee that I won't get hit by a bus tomorrow. Right. And so I want the ability for this thought I'm having, this this expression to be sent to this person sure. in that event. I have no problem with the death switch service. My yeah. problem is the idea of becoming immortal. Yeah. Digital immortality is a little pathetic and desperate, if you ask me. Like, just the whole concept. Really? Can't die. I can't possibly die. Don't let me die. That, okay, I guess where you're so going. So that's part one of it. But then a dumbed-down, watered-down version of it to where an AI of you survives you it indefinitely, that odd. to me is is beyond egotistical. Because if you think about it, our concept of immortality now, Strickland, is what you leave behind in the form of your work. And your memories. Mm -hmm. And you leave yourself to be judged and appreciated, hated, whatever, by the people who who come after you, by the people you've touched, have, 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 who keep you alive with their thoughts. Sure. That's immortality. Now, it's not invasive. It's up to the people who are left to stay alive to decide what, how they think of you or whether they even want to think of you. With this AI version of yourself, you're just insinuating yourself in their lives beyond your own physical death. In a way that you're not even getting any sort of satisfaction from. Have I ever told you what my plan is after I die? No. Okay. So this is going to give you a look into my psyche and explain exactly why this kind of service is perfect for me. Okay. I've told why my, did you just lock the door? I, I've told my wife this. Now, I didn't say this is my plan for after when you die. <laughs> <laughs> like I got that plan too. But yeah, my, bet. my plan for when I die, uh, and I, I, I'm not being genuine when I say this. This was something I told my wife in jest, but I said, what I want to have happen is I want to be cremated. And then I want us to have uh, it, part of my, part of the stuff I leave behind is going to be a certain amount of money to hire somebody mm -hmm. who for the rest of my wife's life takes the urn of ashes that has me in it, mm -hmm. hides it somewhere in the house and she cannot go to bed until after she finds me. <laughs> Because I want to irritate her as much in death yeah. as I have in life. Yeah. And she looked at me. She's like, the scary thing is I could totally see you doing that. I kind of can, too. Now, honestly, I would never do that. I plan on donating my body to science. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, supposedly you have to make a, a, a note if this kind of thing bothers you that you don't want, um, say, like a, a rhinoplasty practice to be carried out on your I don't care. decapitated head. I don't care. You know, whatever whatever helps people in the long run, whether whether that help is 
is uh, you, whether you judge it as being superficial uh-huh. or whether you judge it as being really meaningful. Yeah. Ultimately, my goal is I want I want to I want to leave the world better than it was when I came in. That's that's how that's, my wife approaches it too. She yeah. wants to leave her body to science, and I'm like rhinoplasty. She's like, I don't. It's fine. Yeah. Like if I'm leaving it to science. Well, the way I figure, it, what if there's someone who through uh, uh you know either. Uh, an, an inherited defect or yeah, injury yeah, or know. whatever. I'm a yeah, huge jerk. They could, they could truly, their lives could be transformed in yes, a way that I, I cannot that. even conceive of. I know what you mean. Or there's of a, course there's that option. I feel like Seinfeld a, when he like put down the dermatologist, like, oh, you saved lives. And she's like, yes, through skin cancer. He goes, skin cancer. Like it was the one thing he <laughs> like, forgot. I didn't think of yeah. it. Well, or, or what about this scenario? There's a housewife in Beverly Hills and her nose is just a little too big. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You know? Actually, if her nose is a little too big, my nose is the last one in the world to look at. So, <laughs> Oh, man. You and me both. I can't believe we can both been in here. I know. it's. We almost had to build out an alcove in this podcast <laughs> studio just for the nasal passages. <laughs> This has been a lot of fun. Dude, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. Of course, obviously. Let's beat the heck out of the toilets episode. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't make any puns in that sense. Like I didn't. <laughs> no. There, you know, there, there are tons of immortality puns I could have made, but I didn't do it. I, I um, speak for everyone listening when I say we appreciate that. I'm sure. So, of course, you can find Josh Clark's work on Stuff You Should Know and all things Stuff You Should Know. Remember, you got you to gotta check out the podcast. You got to check out the site. Also, if you have the opportunity, occasionally Josh and Chuck do live appearances. You guys just finished a mm-hmm. tour, yeah. a couple of tours. Yeah, this we year. did one in the northwest uh, and then in the northeast. And then we're going to do the northern Midwest. Yeah. Which is a thing, I think. Yeah. But like Chicago, I believe, Detroit, Cleveland, Minneapolis, and either Milwaukee or Madison this, this October. So you guys have got to check that out. If that's one of the, if you live in one of those areas or near one of those areas, look into it because uh, the live events are a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. And uh, I mean, hopefully we'll be sending you internationally before too long. Cause we would love that. I would too. Because <laughs> Josh sits right next to me. Uh, no, we we get along really well. We sure do. I really appreciate you being on the show, Thank guys. You. If you have any suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, you can, of course, let me know. Send me an email. You know, it might be a specific type of technology. It might be a, a profile on a person or a company. Or maybe you just have a preference for a particular guest to interview or be guest host. Let me know. I'll make it happen. The email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Or drop me a line on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr. The handle with all three of those is TechStuff, H-S-W. And I'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.